Praise the Lord, everyone. It is so good to be here this afternoon and to worship at PT. Uh, so glad that God has given us the opportunity just to really just exercise our limbs and just open our eyes to a new day. Uh, one of the things about this uh, coronavirus season is that I am more appreciative of things that I may not have been appreciative of before. That is, I can come to worship. That is, I can wake up in the morning and not have to put on a mask. You know, I, 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 you know the thing about putting on a mask, it, it, it was really, it's really tough. But yet, I'm grateful that God has awakened me this morning. And I want you to put in the chat box something that you're grateful for. Something that you say, God, I just thank you. I bless you. I praise you. I magnify you. Maybe it's a new job that God gave you. Maybe he opened the door. Maybe he provided food. Maybe he had give, given you uh, peace in the night season. But God is such a good God. And we deserve, we deserve, we deserve. Because, you know, he made us worthy. That's why we deserve it. He deserves it. But also he said, you deserve it. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord has given us such great blessing. And we certainly want to respond in praise. And so today, as you're listening, as you're looking at this, uh, this, this time of the word being preached, I first of all want to give honor to God for who he is, and I also want to give honor to your bishop and your first lady, and I thank God for Bishop Brian Green, and thank God for his wife, and thank God that you are a church that is called to be a blessing. And so today, as we're talking about biblical justice, we're gonna be talking about some things about, like that as well. I wanna thank God for my wife. My wife is here. I appreciate her prayers. I appreciate that she's come to support us this morning. I appreciate all of you who are here worshiping in the worship team. Didn't we have some fantastic worship this morning? Didn't God come into the building? Amen. But not only is he in the building, he's home with you. And you can feel his presence. I know you can feel his presence. I know you've been touched by him. And so we're here today to celebrate. I'm gonna get right to the word this morning. And as your topic for this conference is biblical justice, I find that it is it is, a, it is a tough subject to really even study and read about and, and digest, but yet it is so essential that we understand what biblical justice is in this season. And so as we pray, I want you to uh, turn your, your Bibles or you can look at the screen or you have a, your, your tablet or your iPhone or your Android or whatever you're using. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verses 10 to 11. I'm going to pray as you get it. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful occasion by which we are able to just be in your house. I pray for those at home, Lord, as they're listening, that, God, that you would just invade our space. Pray thank you, Lord, for the, giving me the words to say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto you, O God, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name. I want to begin talking about Proverbs uh, chapter 11, verse 10 to verse 11. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there is shout of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but the mouth of the wicked is destroyed. This is a very exciting scripture. When I, when I 
heard the scripture preached. I heard it preached by a lady named uh, Amy Sherman. And she, she talked about this text, and I've read the text before, but it gave me an understanding of really what blessings can really do. I understand that God wants all of us to experience his blessing because it's a part of the covenant of God. We, we, we are Abraham's seed, that we are called to be a blessing to others. But here is something that really intrigues me, is that when you think about a blessing, it says here, the righteous prosper and the city rejoices. You know, when you think about that, it's amazing that a righteous person can be blessed and everybody's happy. A righteous person can receive a blessing from the Lord, but yet it reverberates into a city being blessed. You know, this is a big vision that God is laying out that the blessing of the Lord is not just for me, it's not just for my family, it's not just for my children, but it's for a city. Oftentimes, and I'll just tell you for myself, when I come to church, my, my mind is on, Lord, what blessing do you have for me today? But I'm not thinking too much of what that blessing might mean for somebody else. He says here, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. So this text is exciting because it's a grand vision. And there are possibilities for all of us. And however, how old you are, how long you've been saved, whatever your status in life, there's room for everybody. Could you put in the chat box, there's room for everybody. No, there's certain things I can't do anymore because I'm kind of too old. Kind of too old. I'm too old to be a fireman. I'm kind of too old to play certain levels of games of basketball. If they had an old folks leave, I might qualify for that. But this is something that all of us can participate in. It's for builders. It's for boomers. It's for millennials. It's for Generation Z. And if you don't have a label, it's for you too. Because the label isn't anything of that sort. It's the label is for the righteous. And if you live righteous, you're included in this. So I want to tell you that there's a blessing in store for you. So I believe that this grand landscape tells us that we need to be a people who are in the right place at the right time doing the right things. My subject today is the role of the righteous. The role of the righteous. And do you realize that we all have a role? We have a role to play. We all are included in this grand scheme of a city rejoicing. So my question is, as we build the text and as we build up to the text, I want to just kind of give you some foundation on biblical justice. So question comes out, well, what is the difference between social justice and biblical justice? Well, all of us would agree that using force or fraud and exploitation on the most vulnerable 
is an evil thing to do. We carry within us an innate, this innate sense of right and wrong, and, and we, we have this conviction that everything that oppresses us should be punished, and the weak should be protected because we want justice. I can't tell you is that I went through an emo- a lot of em- feelings and emotions as I've watched George Floyd on the ground as the police officer had his knee in his neck. It hit me very hard because as an African-American male, it sent me back as I just grew up in the 60s. And I thought to myself, I said, are you kidding me? Is this 2020? I thought about my sons. I thought about them. I was so nervous I would call them every day. How are you? Are you okay? Went through some anger, some frustration. But in the midst of it, God gave me a word and said, you know, Larry, you you can get frustrated and you can go through the number of emotions, which is just natural to go through. But at the end of the day, he said, do you know, what's going to be your role in this space of time as it relates to justice? So when it comes to this definition of social justice and biblical justice, justice in the simplest form means to just set things right. How many of you believe that things just need to be set right? We long for things to be right. And yet the question is, who defines what is right? Who defines what's right? Is society at large determining what's right? Is my culture determining what's right? Uh, Is there a moral law that will tell me what's right? So social justice is a common term that's used today, and and as you look online, you can start seeing phrases like promoting a just society by challenging injustice and valuing diversity. It works, but it's, it's, it's very broad, and it can be very vague. On one hand, it sounds really good, but we have to look a little deeper. So the contrast is that social justice many times will focus on the temporal. It focuses on what's happening now. Nothing wrong with that because we have to address what's happening now. But as you know, what's happening now may not be happening in another five years, or 10 years, or 20 years. Social justice has a temporal viewpoint. But when you deal with biblical justice, you're dealing with something starting from the eternal. Because it starts with God. It's an eternal perspective. It's an eternal perspective. It's it's coming to a viewpoint where I start seeing justice in the landscape of what God says it is. So in other words, I don't treat a person based upon the law of the land, says, well, you need to treat them this way or that way. I treat them because they are made in the image of God, and it's part of what we call the Imago Dei. I look at God's view of justice, 
And that's what makes biblical justice biblical justice. So we all agree that uh, there are principles to justice, but the question is, how does it translate into a practice? Because justice as a principle doesn't bring anything to bear on a situation. We have to learn how to practice justice. Chris Marshall had a, an image where he, he puts justice in four kind of boxes. He wrote this book called The Little Book of Biblical Justice. It's a, it's a fascinating book, a short read. And he says that biblical justice includes distribution. So justice dictates that people get their fair share in society's goods. Everybody wants their fair share. I want my fair share. I mean, growing up, I'm the youngest of three. I hated to be cheated. If I saw mom giving my sisters two scoops of ice cream, I asked, well, how come I didn't get two scoops as big as they did? Even though she knew that my stomach couldn't handle two scoops of ice cream. We want distribution. We, 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 want, we want to know that we get our fair share. Now, now I want to tell you this. I'm hoping that you filled out your census this year. I hope you filled out your census because some people that, I, that I've talked to about the census, they say, ah, I ain't filling out no census. I don't want them knowing my business. So I asked them, I said, do you have a passport? They said, yes. I said, do you have a social security number? Obviously you do. Forget about them knowing your business. They already know more about you than you think they know. But I said, don't you understand that filling out your census, you're helping that these resources that our government and local governments have can be evenly distributed to communities that need it. So they needed a little bit of assurance because they were Christians, so I said, well, let me give you some Bible for that. It's called Numbers. So when you look at Numbers, the first chapter opens up, a census is taken. They take a census to find out who, who, who's, who, who's with us, who's here. And not only did it once, but they did it twice. In Numbers chapter 26, they did it 38 years later before they went into the land. They said, okay, before we go into the new territory, let's take a census. Maybe before we come back to church, we should take a census to find out who's with us. Because sometimes people just, you know, I am so comfortable watching. I am so comfortable at home. This is, you know, I could do church like this forever. But God wants us at the appointed time, we need to come back to his house and worship him. Can you put an amen in the chat box on that one? In order to have this understanding of justice, we have to understand power. Power is part of justice. Power involves exercising legitimate power. It says, you know, injustice will occur when power is misused. And so all of us who have power, you have positions, you're working, you have stewardship over money, or you have employees that are working, you have power. As parents, you have power. 
So we want to make sure that we are distributing and using our power appropriately. Then the third one is equity. Equity means that it requires fairness and balance, that disputes can be handled even-handedly. We see injustices happening all the time in many cases where someone will be brought up on charges, but they don't get the same sentence because they don't have legal counsel that they can afford. And fourthly, he talks about rights. Rights has to do with honoring the rights and entitlements of people. You know, sometimes you just have to say, just give me what I'm due. So justice happens in these four areas, but it's not always easy to practice those things in balance. When it comes to biblical justice, let me give you a little bit more foundation when it comes to God. Biblical justice begins with God who is just. The scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 3 and 4, it says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of God. He is our rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who, is, who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 45, 145 verse 17 says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. And simply said, I can count on God to do what's right. I, I know you didn't feel like you're treated right sometimes. You know, I haven't been treated right all the time. I've been stopped and been treated wrong. But I'm trusting that God is a God who always does what's right even when I don't understand what he's doing. Justice connects with knowing God. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 11 to 17. Justice is connected with knowing God. I want you to read this story on your own. I won't go into a lot of it, but I just want to just explain a couple of points of this. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 11, it talks about a ruler named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is now ruler, and he's following his daddy, Joash, Josiah, I'm sorry, Josiah. And as he's ruling, he has a different paradigm of how he's to rule. And so the Lord speaks to him and says, sorrow is going to await you, Jehoiakim, because here's what you're doing. You built this, this mammoth palace. You put cedar in it and you even painted it red. He gets all of these luxurious things, but he doesn't pay anybody for it. He doesn't give them fair wages. People are working and they're working and they're working. They're not getting any benefits. And the Lord said these words to him. He says, you know, your father, Josiah, was not like that. He says, Josiah had plenty to eat, plenty to drink. He was just in all of his dealings. And that's why I blessed him. Verse 15. That's why he was blessed. He gave justice to help the poor and he helped the needy and everything went well for him 
And the question comes up, he says, isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? The reason why justice is important because it's a witness that we know God. People that don't know God don't necessarily do justice. So start expecting people to do right when they don't know God. Another verse that says here that, that justice connects with our worship. Justice connects with our worship. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 13 to 17, you can read this on your own, but basically it says, the Lord says, you know, I've been listening to your worship and there's something missing. There's something missing in your worship, and that is when you worship, it sounds so good. But here's the problem you haven't sought justice. And so, therefore, because I'm a just God, I don't want to hear any more songs. I don't want to hear no more worship. I, I don't want no more sacrifice. I don't want no more prayer and fasting nights. I don't want no prayer and fasting weekends. I don't, want, I don't want any of that. I want you to learn to seek justice. I want you to learn how to help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of the widows. And so the truth of the matter is, we cannot leave out justice and be true worshipers. God is not interested in my hands going up if I'm not doing justice. In fact, the psalmist said, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands. Isn't it interesting that you've got to keep washing your hands right now? <laughs> he that has clean hands and a pure heart, meaning that your heart is pure and your dealings are right. There are three dimensions to this area of what we call justice. Three areas, called three dimensions. It's up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. Up, in, and out. When it, when it comes to righteous living, there is an up. The up is Godward. I'm living Godward. To live Godward is to work for his glory. To live, to, to, to go Godward means that your loyalty is to him. My mother used to say these things that it would frighten me. She said, you know, there are times when I can't see you and there's times when your dad can't see you, but always know God is always watching you. Here is uh, something that I thought of as, as we know the story of Joseph. As Joseph was in a tempting position where he had rulership and he had authority over Potiphar's house. And he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife because Potiphar had gone away doing some business. And she came on to him. And she was relentless. But what he said was so intriguing. He says, you know, first of all, you don't belong to me. You ain't my wife. 
You know, I got to be faithful with the steward of my master, everything my master has. And I don't, I, I have no, I have no claims to you. But the second thing he said is, how can I do this thing against God? When you live Godward, you're thinking what God would say about it. When you, when, when you make a decision about your, your workers and before you give them a piece of your mind, you need to say, God, what do you say about this? It's upward. But then it's in. Inner, inner means you're holy. it's holiness. It's about holiness. Now, holiness can be one of those things where you kind of think it's just a, this is a religious thing going on. But what it means is really about having integrity. Integrity means that you have wholeness to you. But we get the word integer, whole, whole numbers. So that I'm not cheating, I'm not lying, I'm true on the inside. That's why David prayed, Lord, let truth be on the inward parts of me. So he comes with this understanding of an in, an inner, an inner righteousness that is also manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, I, you know, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love prophecy. I, I love interpretation of tongues. I, you know, I, I love all of those gifts, and I wish they were always active every time I came in church, but more so we need the fruit of the Spirit. Because if you have gifts of the Spirit, no fruit of the Spirit, it can be a very dangerous thing. Yeah. I met people that had gifts of the Spirit, but they're mean as snakes. And see, the thing about it is here, he says, at the gut level, inside of us, it's an in. But then it's an out. The out is the working of justice to people who are outside. It means bettering the conditions of people in the way they live. It means to better their situations. It means promoting just relationships. So that if you have a business, you're, you're trying to do what is right to your customers. If you're working, you don't sign in that you worked eight hours and leave and only work four. It's encouraging social reform. It's working towards the betterment of the lives of people where they're at. So there's an up, there's an in, and there's an out. So let me get to this text, because I want to just talk to you a little bit about, and I'm almost done, to talk to you a little about, well, why, why is it that the role of the righteous is so important and why is it that a people can rejoice when God pours out his blessing on a righteous person? And this is why. Because the righteous person is a sedekim. What's a sedekim? That's the Hebrew word for righteous. The, the word sedekim is an interesting word because it's a, the person is a doer of righteousness. They're a doer. Not a talker, they're a doer. People in that chat box, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a doer of righteousness. I'm so glad that you're reading the book, Generous Justice, 
because Tim Keller has a picture of what that looks like. And he takes a snapshot of the life of Job. You know Job. Job is the guy that always, we always relate to him as the guy who suffered much. When we go through a hard time at work, I said, I feel like Job today. When we're having trouble in our homes and trouble in our lives and difficulty and things are not working out, we say, oh my goodness, we look to Job because you know what? He was worse off than us. But there's something about Job that I want you to see, and that's in chapter 29, where Job reminisces about his life prior to the time when he suffered. Sometimes you've got to remember things before you go through suffering. He encouraged himself and said, you know, when I, when I, before I went through this whole ordeal of suffering and loss, I, I, I remember that there, were, there was time that was going by and I could walk among people and they knew me. I was very popular with people. He said, you know, my children were still around me. I was enjoying life. Things were really good for me. He said, you know, one thing I loved to do is I was helping people. I was the defender of the poor. I went to bat for those who couldn't advocate for themselves. Job was the kind of guy, if he, if he saw the blind, if he saw a blind person, he wouldn't walk by him. He'd help them. He was the guy that the go-to guy when something was needed because they said, Job is a righteous man. He's a Zedekim. He's a guy who causes the right, his, his, his righteousness and the blessing on his life, those blessings are flowing out to other people. You see, when the righteous prosper, it's not having a bucket, it's having a pipeline. Most of the time, we come with buckets when we should be a pipeline. The Zedekim is one who is so blessed that everything they have, everything they do, they want to pour out the blessing on other people. But here's the crux of what I say about Job's life. He says, when I went to the gate of the city and I took my seat in the public square, he took his seat among other Zedekims. Wait a minute. This sparked my interest. Because when it comes to doing justice, doing justice means that you have to get in your seat, in your role, and you have to be at the gate. Well, what do you mean? During that time in the Old, Te in the Old Testament, when they did business and they did justice, and they, they, they actually had court cases. They didn't have courthouses like we have now. They had marketplaces. They were administrative buildings perhaps around, but they would actually do all of their cases in public so you could see it. And so they would have these people, these sadikims, they're around who make decisions. They would make the business deals happen. In fact, you can go to Genesis chapter 23, and you can see when, when, when Sarah died and Abraham was going into the promised land, he was in Canaan, Sarah was 127 years old and she died. And he didn't have any way to bury her. So he went to the gate. 
He went to the place where the gathering of the elders were. He, he went to the place where the Zedekins were and said, I need, I need some property to bury my wife. And they said, oh, you are the exalted father. You are the one that, you're Abraham. You're the great one. In fact, we'll give you this land. He said, no, I'm going to buy it. And I want to pay full price for it. Wait a minute. If somebody offered me land for free, would I turn it down? Honestly, no. But why did he turn it down? Because when you read closer, he didn't want to take advantage of anybody because he was a righteous man. He wanted to be honest. He didn't do a bait and switch. He told them exactly, I need a cave and I need this land to bury my wife. I want it as a burial ground. I want it as a cemetery. He didn't say, I'm going to buy the cemetery and didn't put a mall on it. He was transparent. And then you know if you're going to do biblical justice, you've got to be transparent. We find other, other scriptures that talk about that. Remember Boaz. Boaz negotiated the purchase of a Limelech's property at the gate. The elders would gather at the city gate to administer justice. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 19. And so when we see this gathering at the gate, we see justice being meted out. And it reminds me of a New Testament principle called the Ecclesia. The Ecclesia. Now, you may have never heard that word before, Ecclesia. It's called the assembly. The assembly of elders, the assembly of leaders. And they would, they would actually come together to do business in marketplaces and to have discussions about commonwealth, Ecclesia. Paul uses the word ecclesia, Jesus used the word ecclesia for the word church. Church? Yeah, church. The connecting point is this, that the church has to be more than just an exercise of our religious activity. We need to be at the gate. <laughs> we need to be in places where the business is happening. Well, why do I say that? Because Jesus says, occupy till I come. When you look in the Greek, the occupy, the word occupy means do business till I come. He didn't say do church till I come. He said do business till I come. And so as a, as a Zedekim, as an ecclesia, as a person who is righteous, God wants to dump and load those blessings on so you can participate in commonwealth. Common wealth. Common wealth. So the question is where we start, and I'm going to wrap up. Where do we start? Well, here's where we have to start. We have to start in a place where we take an assessment of ourselves. Because you have a role, because you have blessing, 
because God wants to bring that blessing out so everybody's rejoicing, we have to start by assessing ourselves. So here's four questions. Number one, what do you have? Now, before you turn me off, I want you to hear this. You have to examine what you have because when you have blessing, you have no excuse and you can't say to God, I have nothing to give. Here's some things that you have. You have spiritual capital. If you don't know what that is, read Ephesians chapter one. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. You have human capital. You gotta assess, what are your skills? What are your emotions? What, what's, what's the physical strength that you have? What is God giving to you? You have social capital. These are relationships. And of course, there's financial capital. Do you realize that, although you might say, well, you know, I don't have Bill Gates money. I don't have whoever you think has the most money. And we don't. I certainly don't. But when you travel different parts of the country, you are a very wealthy person. You're a very wealthy person. So whatever we have, whatever we have, we have to assess that. The second thing is, what is your vocation? What's your call? We have a general call to be saved, but then we have a call that we have to come into by God for specific places and purposes. You remember Esther? Esther was called for such a time as this when she's in the palace of the king. Now, she was, she's a pretty looking woman because they made her up and she was really nice looking. But you know what? Mordecai had to say, you know, you ain't in there to look cute. You're in there for such a time as this because your people are in danger of being destroyed. So you have to know what your specific call is as well as the general call. The third thing is, what is your purpose? What is your cause? What is your assignment? Every one of us has an assignment. Perhaps God has you on the job where you are now, though you hate it. He has you on the job, not because you're getting a great paycheck, but because somebody is there who needs you. What is your assignment? And fourthly, what's your next step? What's your commitment going to be? What is your commitment? What actions do you need to take in order to fulfill God's purpose for your life? Those four things will help us to determine our role. Those four things will help us to position ourselves as a Zedekim. Those four things will help us to position ourselves for the blessing so God can bring rejoicing into the city. And so with that, I want you this week to take advantage of the quiet moments, take advantage of the season we're in, and assess yourself. Because God wants you to participate in the commonwealth of what he's doing. And so as we are going to pray, I want you to just to bow your head where you are and just ask the Lord to open your eyes
to what he's given you. Open your eyes to his call. Open your eyes to his purpose. And also, Lord, help me have the courage to take the next step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Lord, as those who are watching and those who are at home, Father, that we would understand our role as righteous people. Father, I pray that you'll forgive us for not participating. That, Lord, that we would see that, Lord, we don't just want dancing in the church. We want dancing in the streets. We want to see righteousness exalted. And you're waiting for us, Lord, to stand in a place where you can pour out your prosperity so the city can rejoice. So Lord, speak to us. Open our hearts, our ears to hear. Show us what we have. Show us where we're called. Show us the cause and purpose and help us, Lord, to take the courage to make the next step in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching this morning, I want to just invite you that perhaps you don't know the Lord Jesus and you need to know him as your personal savior, I want to invite you to allow him to come into your heart. Jesus came to take away our sins. He came to take away the sting of death. And so if you desire to have Jesus in your life today, if maybe you walked away from church, maybe you just were surfing and you saw this, you're seeing this ministry and you're hearing a word from the Lord, I want to invite you to, for this prayer. Would you say these words? Lord God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I repent and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ died on my behalf in order to take away my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave to give me new life in him. God, you said in your Bible, whoever calls on your name shall be saved. We prayed that prayer today. I want to invite you to connect with this house. Information is there for you. I want you to know that God has called us to participate. Love you. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Stay tuned. There's more to come. God bless you, Bishop Ward. Amen. Let's give God praise for that word. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so as we put the word that we received on Friday from Sister Kia and the word that we received today from Bishop Ward, we will prepare ourselves for 2021, our year of biblical justice. Just before I give the closing blessing, uh, I want to encourage you uh, next Sunday, I'm going to be, the Lord has put a, heart, a word on my heart with regards to these elections. And uh, I believe I have a word from the Lord that I want to uh, really encourage you with. On Friday evening from, we usually have the midnight crew uh, praying on the prayer lines, but, but we, in the midnight, crew decided that we were extending an invitation to 
our church as we are going to be in prayer and fasting on Friday. Uh, and we're going to be in prayer and really going forth and learning and reaching out to God with regards to spiritual warfare. Um, I'm going to start at 11 o'clock this Friday and go to 3 o'clock. And you may say, why 11 to 3? Because, because we're, going to, we're going to be praying into Halloween. And we decided that we're going to get a jump on the devil. Amen. We're, we're, we're going to lock down Halloween. And we'll share some, some more things about that. But we're also going to pray about these elections. And we're not here to tell you who to vote for. Uh, we're simply here to tell you that you need to vote. Amen. And so we're going to be praying about the elections that God would choose who he would have to be presidents of these United States. Well, God bless you. Put out your hands. I want to give you a closing blessing. Again, as we're about to bless you, I want to again thank our media team. Thank you so much for the work you do. Thank you to the operations team who sanitizes this place after we leave. Praise the Lord. Thank you for my prayers. There's intercessors all over here just praying. And thank you for the worship team for all that you do. Now, this is hard work, and I just want to Thank you, and again, thank you, uh, Bishop Ward, for the word you ministered. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring forth much fruit. Praise the Lord. Well, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May he look after you, shield you, defend you, and take care of you. As you extend your hand to receive the blessing, may the Lord make his face to shine, grin, beam, and show his pleasure on you. May the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, pleasant, and compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you and side with you psalm 118 as you side with him and finally may the lord give you his shalom his peace his rest his harmony his calmness his composure his prosperity his success may the lord make you a door of justice and may the lord remove anything that causes agitation or discord with divine purpose and destiny for your life i bless you in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ and everybody say i receive that blessing God bless you. Put those hands out in the chat and have a fantastic week.